You are listening to Grow a Thriving Practice podcast. This is episode 24, Coming into Alignment with Trish DeRocher. Grow a Thriving Practice, a podcast made for biofield tuning practitioners, offering the resources to enhance your practice, grow your business, and continue your journey of self-discovery. I'm your host, Jillian Faldmo. Hey, Tuner. Welcome back. I hope you're having a great day today, whatever it is. Um, Today is Thursday, and I am publishing this podcast a little late. Um, So for those of you who are right on schedule usually with listening to the next episode, I do apologize. Um, I have been having some amazing conversations with people, and today you are going to hear a conversation that I had with Trish DeRocher. Trish is a certified biofield tuning practitioner and has an extensive background in academia and healing and coaching and um, and her own self-work. And so every time I have a conversation with Trish, I feel so inspired by the end. I am just in awe of her authenticity and how she expresses herself and um, and the wisdom that she has to offer. So I want to really encourage you to listen in, get some tidbits and treasures from Trish through this conversation. And if you want to contact her, you can go to transformativeconsciousness.com. All right. Enjoy the episode. Hello. Hi. How's life? Life is good. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks for doing this um, podcast episode with me. Yeah, I figured we just have a conversation about like the evolution of your practice and, you know, all, all of the things. And I know that you have a training in, um, in diversity and inclusion. And so maybe we'll touch on that this time, or maybe we'll save it for another episode or training. It's definitely something that I think that we can all really benefit from. There's a lot of value in that, but, um, let's just start if, if you're ready, I'm ready. Okay, cool. What, what's so tell us, tell us what your background is. Yeah. Before biofield so, tuning. Yeah. Pre biofield tuning. Um, I, I mean, I feel like I already had many lives pre biofield tuning. Um, I actually started college uh, in music therapy at 18. Um, So I was pretty tuned into like the power of music and frequency. Um, But at that time it was pretty much like sitting in in drum circles and giving each other bath grubs. So I left uh, after a year. Um, And so I ended up doing a bachelor's in literature, master's in literature and a doctorate in feminist studies, um, where I focused on women's life writing um, and uh, transnational feminist theory, which is really just thinking about um, uh, kind of power differentials between uh, global north and global south and um, how power kind of affects the lives that we can live. So that's really what I was studying. Uh, I started teaching college at 22. 
Um, and so I taught in um, gender studies departments, literature departments, and um, I ended up, I was an assistant professor of interdisciplinary studies um, up until just, uh, just under two years ago, actually. Um, so I was, I was a career academic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At a very young age. At a very young age. Yeah. So I had started, um, around 20, I took my first yoga class, which was really helpful for me for managing my anxiety. Um, nothing in my background suggested like uh, holistic or alternative medicine. Um, so yoga felt like a stretch. And um, I practiced yoga for a while and I stopped when I was in grad school. And then after I had my daughter um, back in like 20, uh, 2011, I started practicing yoga again. Um, and really just because I was feeling energetically out of balance. And I was like, what used to work for me? Yoga used to work for me. Mm -hmm. And um, back then I used to say, like, I just believe in the breath. I believe in the breath to kind of bring us back to center. So um, after practicing a couple more years, I went and did my yoga teacher training um, uh, just north of Mumbai, India uh, with Gopi Kinnikut. And then a couple of years after that, I did my inner alignment coaching training, um, which is really like doing somatic coaching, getting people in their bodies through a yoga yeah. and Ayurvedic lens. Um, and so, yeah, so for a while I was teaching college classes during the day and teaching yoga classes at night um, and then just started reading more spiritual books. Um, and eventually someone placed Eileen McCusick's uh, Tuning the Human Biofield in my hand. And um, that was kind of my introduction to biofield tuning. And I assume you ate that up just like every, everyone else has. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. So I, they handed it to me, but I was like, yeah, music therapy, that sounds like kind of full circle, but it took me a little while because I because I was like tuning forks like I don't I don't really get it so uh -huh. I had it in my bag like I was you know traveling and I like had it in my pack um, and I had actually forgotten about it so I didn't really I was living in Burlington Vermont at the time but I didn't know that's really where Eileen was based uh -huh. <laughs> I didn't know anything like this woman just like, handed me the book and so I was actually in. Hawaii doing a plant medicine retreat during like uh during the semester um after 15 years of teaching someone invited me to do like this retreat during the semester and I was like I can't do that and I was like maybe I can it's been 15 years of college teaching I've never done this <laughs> and so I was there and the Wanderlust Yoga Festival was also happening on uh, Oahu at the same time so I went and I sat for a Sankalpa meditation practice, a heart meditation with Tracy Stanley. And I heard so loud in my body, you cannot stay in academia. And I was like, oh, cool. Interesting. Single mom, this is my career. What the heck do I do? <laughs> 
And, um, you know, so I had learned to kind of ask universe and it kept actually coming in universe, right? So like this one verse. So all this stuff about music was coming up. Mm -hmm. And that night I, I was like in my pack looking for something and I found Eileen's book. And um, I was like, oh. Like you I already had it, but you, maybe you brought it with you or it was someone else's and it like kind of reappeared in your... Yeah, I had, yeah. I had had it. It was probably in the pack for like, I don't know, four months. I think I had bought it maybe like a year before that. Like I, and I just hadn't gotten around to it. But then like this day, as I'm like, what should I do universe? I just magically pulled it out of my pack, started reading it right away, finished it on the plane home to Burlington, yeah. Vermont, and was like, I'm totally going to sign up for a training. And of course, when I started looking, I was like, wait, they do trainings in Burlington, Vermont? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so I took my foundations training um, like a month later. There was a wait list, but I was able to get in. And then I took my practitioner training later that year. Um, and, then, and then actually ended up um, leaving academia uh, because I, wow. I started practicing, um, and so you left academia to do biofield tuning. I did. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I didn't realize that pretty directly. Ah, that's awesome. Pretty directly. Um, yeah, I was, I had taken the foundations training and, um, I was like, Oh, this is, this is really cool. And it was starting to make me rethink some of the ways I had been thinking about social justice work and wow, like if we're really energy, then like maybe we can't just think our way out of these structures. Maybe there's something energetic going on. Yeah. Um, and then when I took practitioner training uh, and we did the relationship sessions, I was like, oh, you can shift relationships by working the overlaps between people's fields. Um, mm -hmm. And that was really, really powerful for me. Uh, Eileen was in, like came to do a, a relationship session in our practitioner training. Um, and, you know, I like sheepishly asked her, I was like, do you think you can do this for groups of people? Like, can you use, you know, individual people as proxies? And she was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so my mind just kind of started going. Um, it was in practitioner training was the first time I said out loud to people that I was going to be finishing my last year in academia. Um, and then a full-time position uh, doing customer service work with biofield tuning came up uh, uh -huh. just a months later and I took it. So I didn't even finish that year um, of college teaching. I just, I just left and I haven't looked back. Um, and then I ended up doing my, my advanced uh, module one training um, pre-pandemic shutdown. Gotcha. So how many years has it been since you have been certified and left your academia job? Yeah, it hasn't been long. So I got certified a year and a half ago. Um, oh my gosh. I feel like you've been doing this forever. Me too. Me <sighs> too. Um, and it's, it's wild because, you know, I, I work in the clinic and, and my practice is pretty busy. Um, 
I think in April, I, I think I did 85 tuning sessions in April. So like it's been, I think I average, um, you know, between 50 and 60 a month. It's, it's been a lot. Um, so it hasn't been a long time, but I feel like I've been getting a lot of practice in. Um, yeah. Yeah. I have lots of questions, but I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to start with the one that I think maybe many people are thinking like, how, how did you, well, yeah. Like, how did you build your practice? How did you get to 85 sessions in one month and that busy? What, yeah. what do you think has been like the, well, the contributors to that, but like the biggest contributor to that? Yeah. Well, I think that I wouldn't have been ready for biofield tuning if I hadn't done my inner alignment coaching first. Mm. So that was like a, it was like a nine month, really like deep healing intensive. So I was like integrating shadow and healing childhood trauma and building a really, really strong meditation um, and manifestation practice. Um, so I already had like pretty, you know, I was already working with energy, um, and calling in pieces. So mm -hmm. my practice is called transformative consciousness. And that name dropped in through meditation, you know, like it wasn't anything I was engaging in, in rational mind. I was just sitting there and like, bam, it dropped in one day. So even before I started my practice, I was calling it in. Um, and so I started my practice with coaching work, um, wow. first individual, and then I started doing some group programs. Um, and then, um, Wait, sorry, oh, so yeah. you, you received individual coaching and then group or you, you were the coach. Yeah. Well, so during the program, I received individual coaching. It was okay. like, we had to go through what we were going to be doing before we could do it, which I really, yeah, really, yeah. Liked. it was really yeah. helpful. Um, and I just had like so much trauma come up that I, I didn't know. So it was really profoundly healing. Um, mm. and then, yeah. And then we practiced kind of with each other. Um, and from there, uh, yeah, I, I started offering individual coaching sessions and group programs. So I run, um, there's three levels. It's level one is transform level two is align, and I'm just running my first level three ascend right now, which is coaching. Um, although since then I, I now include tuning. Um, so everyone gets one tuning session as, as part of those group programs. Um, and still at that time, it was just kind of like a side gig. Um, I was teaching yoga. I had my full-time academic job. It wasn't my intention to make it my full-time practice, which I think actually helped when you're asking like, how did I build it? I wasn't attached to it. It was just yeah. something I was interested in. It was uh -huh. something that I really loved. Um, and it's not like I like quit my day job to just go straight for it. I was kind of pragmatic about it. I was like, okay, I need to keep my day job, 
while I'm building my practice. Yes. And so the more I practiced, the clearer I got mostly from who my clients were. Like, you know, I really believe that as you're, um, as you're doing sessions to like pay attention to who's finding you, because that's kind of telling you what your work is and what Mm. your niche is. Um, so I was just coaching at that time and, uh, just starting to offer some group programs. And then as part of the group programs, I was like, uh, between foundations and practitioner, I just started incorporating biofield tuning. Um, like they would get like one biofield tuning session, right? So they weren't yeah. paying for the biofield tuning. It was just like part of the coaching. Here's an extra. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that was great because there wasn't a lot of pressure. It allowed me to just kind of play. Um, and I did a lot of free sessions. Like I like to, um, for me, it's like this very sacred and ethical thing, holding space for people's feeling. Um, and so I wanted to make sure I was ready. Um, so I think I, I practiced, um, for a year in biofield tuning, um, before I accepted, uh, any monetary exchange for Mm -hmm. biofield. Um, so I think part of what's helped me build my practice. Um, and right now I'm like, I have bookings into October right now. Um, and so I'm trying to, uh, figure out balance. (laughs) Yeah. Right. How many can I do finding my edge, like constantly kind of refining, but I think it's beneficial that biofield tuning for me, isn't the only thing that I do. It it's one of, um, it's one of the things that I offer that is the more popular offerings. Um, but it's not the only thing. Um, and that also helps me not get burnt out at it because it's, it's not just one modality that I'm doing all the time. Yeah. Um, for me, it's also been helpful. I work in the clinic in the biofield tuning clinic. Um, and, uh, strangely enough, because I was kind of building my practice just before the pandemic, my practice was not primarily in person. It kind of started doing distance work. Um, and I've actually found that's one of my, my, uh, niches is, is actually doing distant sessions. So Mm. um, when I do, when I work on human bodies, like if I'm working on my daughter or my partner, sometimes I'm like, God, this like human body is so clunky. Like what is the way? Um, so I was really, really lucky that, um, the timing of my training and kind of coming into doing it it's not like I had a pre-existing practice that the pandemic kind of dismantled. Yeah. Um, the distance tuning actually allowed me to further my reach as a distance tuner. Yeah. Um, and so most of my clients are not in Vermont. Most of my clients are not um, in person. Um, and I really like that actually. Um, so I find that what's helped with my practice is 
Um, coaching and tuning, I think, as you know, Jill, work really, really well together. Yes. Um, and so sometimes I have coaching clients who know nothing about biofield tuning, but then once they get introduced to it, they start doing more work with biofield tuning. And some clients who come to me for biofield tuning and then who end up doing some coaching work. Um, and I also offer some like uh, hybrid uh, sessions. So it's like 90 minutes, uh, a 90 minute session, 45 minutes coaching, which leads us into 45 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I used yeah. to do that and I really love those. Yeah. yeah I think um, kind of what I, what I've found with biofield tuning is like, you can, you can get a lot done with biofield tuning and, um, you know, resolve a lot of the, the patterns that you're either attached to consciously or unconsciously, but it's like, what happens after that? You know, how do we manage our minds after that? So that we don't find ourselves in the same situation or, you know, whatever led us to feeling, I like your word clunky, <laughs> clunky or having knee jerk reactions. Like how do we like biofield tuning, like really helps you to respond appropriately to the moment and then using tools with coaching. It's like that, that helps even more. That's super supportive. Um, I, so yeah, I love hearing how you started your business because it sounds like you did a lot of internal work. And I think where people get kind of caught up is in like the doing, like, doing like the action steps. What do I need to do? Like, I need to put myself out there more. I need to put, but if you're putting yourself out there from a place of misalignment or, um, you know, not being in, in full integrity with yourself, like it doesn't have the same results. Yeah. Right. So, so finding that alignment and finding, finding what your truth is, how you want to proceed in your life, not just your business, but like, how do I want to live my life? Then bringing that, all of that into starting a business and starting a practice, it's, it's bound for success. Absolutely. That's yeah. so cool. Congratulations on, <laughs> oh my gosh, like book till October. That's wild. Thank you. Yeah. So awesome. And, and I mean, that is really what I hold. Like I've learned, um, the deeper I go with my practice, like my actual work is like taking care of myself, like yeah. making sure that I'm, you know, doing daily meditations, um, in my manifestation work, you know, I'm always working with gratitude. I'm always asking, you know, spirit to just kind of pacify my ego and to allow me to be of service. And I just ask that yeah. you know, the people who are meant to work with me, because not everyone is meant to work with us, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Everybody has to find like their, their vibrational match. Really. Yeah. I just ask that the clients who are meant to work with me will find me. And then I just trust. Right. And, um, and so I trust when someone shows up that they're there for a reason and whether, you know, that's like a, a con like whether they're conscious of it or not, whether I know like can sense into the reason or not, I just trust that, um, you know, it's, it's in alignment, it's in vibrational alignment for us to work together. Um, and, you know, and that also means that I, like, I, I post on social media when I feel called, like I'm not yeah. really focused on like a business plan. And, you know, like 
peace has come and I talk to people and I try things on or like, you know, I'm, I'm surrounded by these amazing entrepreneurs all the time. And so I, I'm like around it or I can see things. I'm like, Oh, that's a really good idea. Um, but it's not that that's my primary focus. It's just, those are like the tools that help me continue to do this work and, and to grow and refine while also finding my edge so that I don't get burnt out with it. Because mm-hmm. for me, it really is about the shape of my life. Like in academia, um, I was really unhealthy and everything was around work. Um, and so I really wanted to build a life for myself and, you know, have my work fit into a life that I love yeah. instead of just being kind of driven by, you know, you know, I need to, to work, you know, I like to say, I, I, I work to live. I don't live to work, but of course the work doesn't feel like work. It's just, yeah. I really love to do. Yeah. Yeah. And we have kind of a similar a similar story with that. When I first was building my practice, I had my day job, definitely wanted out a full-time nurse. Um, just wasn't, wasn't fulfilling. Felt like I was just, you know, showing up for the man every day, you know, the quote man unquote. Um, but I, I started seeing clients, I think Wednesday nights and Sundays and started building from there. And then it got to a point where it was like most of my, most of my weeknights I was doing biofield tuning. I was like, I think, okay, I think I'm ready to like, let's see if I can cut down to part-time. And I did. And then, um, and then eventually, yeah, went full-time, but it took maybe I'd say a year and a half to get to that point. And I had a kind of a thing with letting go of nursing completely because of, I think like the ideas of my parents and, and stuff like that. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and, and, and building it, building it was like, I love this. This feels like a hobby. It doesn't even feel like a job. So I catch myself every now and then when I'm starting to go, okay, this feels like work. How can I, how can I get that feeling back again? And just what you're saying, like, I need to go do something else. Like I need to go take care of myself. I need to go, um, create some fun, create some curiosity just in life. And then I come back do sessions and it's like, Oh yeah, love this. (laughs) Yeah. And, and that's how I know when it's time to kind of tweak something, right? Like if it's, if it's starting to feel like work, I'm like, okay, Like, you know, are you overextending yourself? Are you taking care of yourself? Exactly. Like, have you played? Like, play is such a big part of life. And if we're going to hold space for people, like, needing to, like, really activate that sacral energy and just, like, create and play in all forms. And then sessions end up feeling like play, too. I I remember, um, it's actually, like, a really huge moment for me as a tuner. Um, or as a practitioner, uh, I was in like a really intense session. Like we were doing some like real deep trauma work and, um, you know, this, this client, I was like, okay, we're around, you know, 13. She's like, 
oh yeah, to hell with that or something, you know, it just like started cracking up. And so we're like working in like deep trauma, just like really laughing. Right. And I was like, right. It doesn't, it doesn't need to feel heavy. Like we yeah. can be in the heaviness and we can bring the light into the heaviness. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's finding that balance and finding your voice, right. As a practitioner is a big part of it. Definitely. I love integrating humor into my sessions. It's so fun. Yeah. And you really kind of have to gauge, you know, where your clients are at, like if, if they're ready for that, you don't want to be making <laughs> jokes out of their trauma if they're not ready to go there, but yeah, even just, just a little bit of lightness can be yeah. really beneficial and play. How do you play? What do you do for play? How do I play? I love to swim. Um, yeah. I love to be outside. So um, I live in the National Forest uh, in Vermont. And so there's just like a lot of really beautiful places around me. I love to go kayaking. Um, I love to read. Um, I love to listen to music. We have dance parties, you know, like dance parties are a great way to like, you know, just kind of shake loose. We just yeah. got baby goats. So um, oh my gosh, I want a baby goat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So hanging out with baby goats, that can be really fun. Like they're so kind of random. Um, they're good therapy. Um, and I, and I have a 13 year old daughter and, you know, she's like a little sprightly pixie. Um, so yeah, she keeps me, she keeps me light too. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. I love it. We also live uh, bordering the national forest and a lot of those activities that you said, except we just got, instead of two goats, we got two kittens Aww. and oh, I could just sit and watch them for hours. Like I found myself just sitting on the floor, not even trying to play with them, just watching them play. I am totally entertained. It's the best. I need to start taking some videos because <laughs> I, I mean, they're not going to be this small and, you know, like sporadic and playful for that long. Pets, yeah. pets get old. Um, cool. Okay. So the other question I had for you, have you, have you done that tuning where the relationship tuning where you've tuned like aspects of the collective or yeah, tell me, tell us everything. Yeah, so I started playing with it um, last last year, and I'm taking my time, right? Just like like with all of my practice, like I trust that like I know the right time to do certain mm, things, so like yeah. I'm not in a rush to do things. Um, you know, I, I want to make sure that that I'm ready and I'm skillful. Like you know, taking on the collective is kind of a, a big deal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So last year, um, after George Floyd was murdered, um, I decided to do a series of sessions through my practice um, called Healing Whiteness. Um, and so they, it was a donation-based series and all the proceeds went to, um, at that time it was a, a BIPOC healing collective in Vermont. It's now actually turned into a community farm. It, it's a pretty awesome, it's uh, the Susu Healing Collective and Susu Heal, um, Community Farm. But yeah, so this tuning session was for white-bodied folks. Um, it was a distance session 
Um, and it was a series of three. So the first one was on sacral, the second was third eye, um, and the third was on heart. So people could sign up for all three or just one. Um, and that was really pretty profound and pretty powerful. Um, the sacral chakra especially, because, you know, ancestral energies are there. For um, sure. There was, there was a lot of dark stuff that came up um, and just a lot of pain, right? Like that's, that's what we're talking yeah. about. Um, it's just ancestral trauma gets compounded and it, over time, it can, it can turn, can turn into resentment. It can turn into rage. So a lot of that was like just getting back to, you know, the softness and the wound. Um, there was actually like a, a lot of um, uh, just men needing like emotional support to just be mm. sad or to have emotions that came up in that one. Third eye, we kind of focused on um, cultural programming and just kind of uh, getting back into our intuition. And then heart, of course, was working on clearing any residual hate or resentment that we all have, but we don't like to talk about it. I um, I have a lot of fire, so I'm not really afraid to go to these kind of places. Mm -hmm. um, and so doing shadow work, clearing the heart, like since 2012, like all my yoga classes, I'm always like, lead with the heart, lead with the heart. So um, yeah, so I did that. And actually just uh, a couple weekends ago, I um, take part in these ally to accomplice trainings, which are a form of reparation. So they take place um, in New Hampshire on um, it's 200 acres of land at uh, Mountains Way Sanctuary. And so it's a BIPOC owned uh, sanctuary. And uh, white folks for these Allied to Accomplice trainings basically pay for the trainings and then the training, the money or the proceeds from the trainings go to support BIPOC respite on the land. So it's kind of like a, an energetic. Nice. Um, and so for this last session, um, I tuned the group. So we were all white bodied folks. And after doing, you know, three days of pretty intense energy, you know, talking about white supremacy and all these things, um, I just sealed with, um, with a group tuning. Um, and what came up in that tuning was to work the back of the chakras, um, which, which makes a lot of sense, right? So um, these systems, when we kind of buy into the cultural programming, we forget who we are. We forget mm. how to take care of ourselves. We forget our needs. Yeah. Um, and so it made sense to me that it was all about opening, uh, you know, our collective hologram to receive, right? To, to receive support, to receive love, you know, to open up to self-love. So um, I haven't started working between social groups yet. My sense is right now to work, um, you know, obviously like we use the, the language of like whiteness or white bodied people, but like, you know, people of European ancestry have like a lot of, um, you know, intergroup conflict and things to work out. So mm. I think right now I'm, I'm focusing on, um, you know, Euro-American folks and mm -hmm. 
working stuff out between those fields before, before I kind of move on to anything else. That's so um, awesome. Thank you yeah. for doing that work, Trish. That's amazing. <laughs> so are you, are you selling that series of tuning or is that posted somewhere on your website? The um, um, healing whiteness? Yeah, it's not, it's not right now. I do have it. I have the recordings. Um, I just, uh, I've been trying to keep up with my practice. Um, so those kind of pieces, I'm hoping to start uh, getting ahead of the curve in the fall. Um, so I do have it if anyone's interested in it, but it's not up on my site right now. Okay. How can people reach out to you? Yeah. So my, my website is just transformativeconsciousness.com. Um, and my email is transformative, uh, consciousness at gmail.com. Um, so even just going to my website, um, you know, there's a, you could just message me through there or send an email. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Is there anything else that you want to share with our practitioners and students? I feel like this conversation was already so rich with like, we touched on self-care, generational trauma, building your business, like mindset, <laughs> coaching, <laughs> We hit a lot. That was, that was so good, but yeah. Anything else? Yeah, I think, um, I think I would just reiterate again, like noticing who your clients are, like who's coming to you. So pretty early on in my practice, I realized that my sessions focused on ancestral healing. Um, now even sometimes I feel like we're doing like celestial, like soul healing, like that's Ooh. been dropping in lately. Um, yeah. but I, you know, I, I think that just paying attention to who's coming in, um, or I also tend to work with healers who still need some healing. Right? Mm -hmm. um, so my path, uh, is the path of the wounded healer, right? We kind of have to transmute our pain. And as we transmute our pain, we, you know, can hold space for other people to work through, but you know, I just learned that through noticing who was coming to me. Um, and, and I guess the other thing I would say is just the importance of finding your voice. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I know that like my approach is like, it's pretty quirky and I'm not trying to be someone else working with my clients. Like I'm just, I can only be myself. Um, and you know, that, resonates with the people for yes. who are meant to work with me. Um, yes. So yeah, I, I think that's what I would really say. You know, I found, um, I do think that my background as a teacher has been helpful in, in my coaching and in biofield tuning sessions, just kind of having the confidence to hold the space. Um, you know, I think sometimes when we work with new clients and we're like, Oh, what are you noticing? And they're like, nothing. <laughs> uh -huh. right? like there, there can be like the wah, 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 or like, Oh, yeah. you know, but, but just realizing like, well, okay. I know when I started getting like Reiki done, I didn't notice anything. I had so much density in my body. I was not tuned into the subtle energies. And, um, you know, so having that kind of, um, 
yeah, just that confidence as, as a teacher to like, no, okay, I'm going to just hold the space and trust has been, has been really, really helpful. Yeah. Practice. I love that. Trust is, is key in doing this work, like really trusting in your journey and the client's journey and just in the process in general, just, you know, someone might not notice something right away, but maybe months down the road they do. Right. And they might not even associate it with biofield tuning. And does that really matter? It shouldn't. It really shouldn't because that's where ego comes in. Right. If (laughs) yeah, yeah, that's huge. Um, there was something else that you mentioned too, where it was like, ding, ding, ding. Yes. Oh, being yourself. Yeah. I think there were a lot of years. Um, no, not, not a lot of years, a lot of time around two-ish years. You know, I worked really closely with Eileen and I just like gobbled up every word and all that. And, and when I taught, like, I was like, I was, I wouldn't say I was trying to be Eileen, but like I was regurgitating (laughs) what she was saying. And I wasn't, I didn't find my own voice yet. And, um, it took, it took practice. It took like, you know, me giving presentations and practicing, talking about it to find my own words and to find my own expression of this. And I, I know some of my students, they saw me from foundations, their foundations to practitioner training. They saw it. They, and they called it out. They're like, Oh my gosh, Jillian, like you're completely (laughs) different. And I was just like, yeah, I'm not regurgitating Eileen's words anymore. I'm like, I'm, I'm speaking from my own experience and my own journey and my own healing. And, um, that just, it just did wonders for my confidence to like really find that in me. So I think that's really, really something special that, um, people can take with them is to, to find your voice. Um, and I like what you said about, you know, your, your niche, like one of the things that I teach is, well, you decide who you want to work with, decide who you want to help. And maybe that's through looking at who's coming through. Right. But when you're doing, when you're giving your messaging, whether it's on social media or you're out talking to people or whatever, finding language that matches theirs that they, they can resonate with. Right. And there's this beautiful resonance because you're speaking your truth. You're speaking your own expression and you're matching theirs. Yeah. Right. And like you said, not everybody's going to you know, be a match for you as a client. And that's totally okay. Yeah. I actually, for my coaching training, that was one of the like most helpful pieces of advice that my, um, my teacher talked to me about, and she had a a background in business, which is one of the reasons why I decided to do my coaching with her, my, my training. Cause I was like, I'm never going to make it like through an MBA or something like business classes are not like, (laughs) um, She was like, you know, spirit, right, is bringing people to you. And so your job is to just translate, you know, into a register that they can hear. So their ego can kind of calm down and allow themselves to work. I love that. And, And so, you know, I trust that, like, I know what I'm doing, right? I mean, you know, 
some days I'm like, what am I doing? I'm playing with the tuning forks, like on a, you know, I have crystals and nobody's here, but I trust that spirit knows, right? Or source knows. Um, and that it doesn't matter the language that I use. Like if it makes sense to the person who I'm talking to, right? I yeah. can describe what I'm doing in different paradigms and in different language. It's more just like finding, like you said, that resonance, that language, the, the, the metaphor that's going to work for the person in, mm -hmm. in front of me to like allow themselves to relax into, into the experience and to kind of open themselves to it. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I would say to that, I do understand that I work with, with source and spirit, but that's not language I use, especially in the clinic, right? Like, you know, people are coming in and, and um, in that way, I really do closely use um, Eileen's language and phrasing. Um, and, that, and that's one other thing I do in my practice is to listen to the language that my clients are using. Mm -hmm. And that language tells me what's bringing them, what language they, you know, are comfortable with so that I can, um, you know, frame the session in a way that's going to feel comfortable and relevant for them. Yeah. Yeah. So if you were to do a diversity and inclusion training for biofield tuning practitioners, what do you think some of the things that would entail? Like, I don't want you to give us the training right here, right now, but maybe just like, cause I want to save a whole other like yeah. segment for just that. But like, what are some of the maybe talking points you might have? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the biggest one is to kind of have a reckoning with yourself about who do you feel comfortable working with? right? Mm -hmm. And even there's a difference between distance sessions and in-person sessions, right? Yeah. Um, because, you know, so I identify as queer and I've definitely received sessions, not just tuning sessions, but like, you know, any energy healing session, or even like for that matter, like going to the doctor where I'm aware that like my body and just being is causing the person who's supposed to be providing me a service discomfort, which then mm -hmm. makes it uncomfortable for me to receive a service, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, one of the biggest things that you can do is to just be really radically honest with yourself about who do I have, you know, um, who do I trust myself to hold sacred space for? Um, and, you know, if, there are folks who you don't feel so comfortable with, you know, it's nothing to celebrate, but it's also just like a learning edge. You're like, yeah. okay, well, awareness. yeah. Like, what do I need to learn? What conversations do I need to have? Or like, you know, what books, um, you know, just to, what questions do I need to ask in order to start to learn? Um, the other thing is to not assume experiences um, right. So like society likes to like place us in like identity categories and boxes. And then like after years, uh, you know, like television and all of those things, we start to assume that certain bodies have had certain experiences. Mm -hmm. um, and just in my many years of college teaching, like I just found every time I had an assumption, it was just like, right, like blown out of the water. Um, mm -hmm. And so 
that's what I, I really um, would encourage people to think about is just like, how do you just meet the person in front of you on the table? Right. Like, yeah. you know, without, without kind of projecting stories on, um, and you know, there's ways, um, I also identify as non-binary. Um, so pronouns are a big thing right now. So like on my intake form, um, I ask for people's pronouns. Um, and that's really helpful for me to know like, you know, how, how do they identify, right? And if I use pronouns, like, you know, um, how should I respectfully uh, interface with them? Yeah. Um, and, and also, I mean, it seems really simple and, and not necessarily like on the DEI checklist, but like checking in with people's names, like, you know, sometimes if we, if we make a mistake, if we use the wrong pronouns or we like, you know, mispronounce someone's name, there can be like shame in it. Right. And then, so like people will kind of tend to belabor like, oh, I'm so, 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 so sorry. Right. Yeah. Like the person who got it wrong has the shame. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't, but you know, everybody makes mistakes. If you mispronounce a name, if you use the wrong pronouns, just say, oh, I'm so sorry. Correct. And move on. And move on. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's something that I would really kind of state, but I do like to just check in, um, you know, just make sure like, is, is this what you want to be called? Right. Or is this like how I pronounce your name, especially like I tune people from all over the world. And so yeah. people like you can see the name on paper, but people pronounce their names all different kinds of ways. Right. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the other thing that I do in my practice, um, especially if I'm working with someone, cause you know, I'm a white bodied practitioner. And so I'm aware that my body carries like certain history. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and so if I'm working with someone from a marginalized population, right? Whether that's like race, gender, sexuality, um, disability, um, even like geopolitically, right? Thinking just like, like where in the world, um, I'm, I'm just kind of tuned into that. Um, and if it's a first session, I'll just kind of reiterate that, um, as a practitioner, I choose to work with the vibrations and only work with the material if they, if they feel comfortable bringing the material in. Mm. So just letting people know that like the modality works on its own, just through the vibration. And if they want to share pieces of their story, that's great. And it can certainly help the session, but I'm not like seeing into, you know, anything that feels really, really vulnerable. Um, and just kind of naming that I find is really, really helpful. Um, it, it adds to a feeling of, of reciprocity um, and can, calm people down because th there's a huge vulnerability, right? Like when we're yeah. working with people and, and these kind of really intimate traumas. So, you know, just letting people know that you're, you're not there to pry, you're not there to really be invasive. Um, and what they want to share is great and they don't have to share anything that they don't yes. want to share. Yeah. Uh, so I guess Jill, I, I feel like those kind of things might not necessarily be like what people think of as like the DEI 
checklist or diversity, equity, inclusion checklist. But I think that one of the most important things is to just realize that like whoever's in front of you is a complex human. Um, and to really just show up and, and hold space for that person in all of their complexity. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you. That was super valuable. That was like, I feel like that was like a whole training in just like five minutes. <laughs> that was really helpful. And you brought up some really good points. Like some things that are, I think that we, we teach about like, you know, you're free to share as much or as little as you'd like, you know, we've said that lots of times, but to hear it from this um, perspective of diversity, equity, and inclusion, it, it's like, it, it just goes, it's, it spreads to another level, you know, or it deepens our understanding of, you know, why we, why we do that it makes total sense. Absolutely. And just, yeah. Asking people how to, how do I, how would you like me to pronounce your name? <laughs> Huge, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, it's so simple. And it, I think it seems like common sense to a lot of people. Um, but then, but then, you know, others of us might not even think twice about it. So it's a good reminder. Um, cause it can feel awkward on the other end too, to be like, Oh, should I correct them or not? You know, exactly. And so I just think you know, whoever I'm working with, my first job is to establish trust, right? Mm -hmm. So I just think like, how do I establish trust with this person? And yeah, you know, a, a lot of it is just intuition, right? Like just trusting that like what's dropping in. I like to say my job uh, as a practitioner is to get out of my own way. <laughs> yeah. Right? Just like, just trust. Um, but yeah, really think about like, how do I cultivate a container with tr of trust with this person and, and what are, you know, seemingly small ways and things that I can do to really create a solid container of trust from the outset. Yeah. So important. Thank you so much, Trish. This has been amazing. So just so everyone knows, Trish and I didn't even plan this conversation while well, we planned to get on zoom at this time, but I was kind of like, let's just record our conversation and see what comes of it. And I like first take gold. Awesome. <laughs> and then, yeah, we're definitely going to have something in store, um, for a full training on DEI. That would be amazing. So yeah, we have to plan that. So we got to go guys. <laughs> Thanks again, Trish. Um, is there, uh, so they can reach you at transformativeconsciousness.com or email you at transformativeconsciousness at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Jill. It's been fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Trish. Hey, Tuner. I hope you enjoyed this episode please consider leaving a review and subscribe so that you catch each episode as it publishes. Happy tuning.